Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the mailbag. It's me, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. Hello. Hello indeed, Andy. Hello indeed. What a show we have for you today. Good people of Patreon, thank you very much for your questions on email and in the Discord. Uh, it's always a pleasure reading them, and remember, you can post them in there any time you like, but we have a little selection, and uh, Andy is ready to answer them for you, aren't you, Andy? I am. I'm always ready. <laughs> you didn't sound as convincing as I thought you might be when you didn't said that. Didn't I? What the, mm. Was that to do with the, the timing, the, the timbre of the voice, the selection of words? I think it was the tone. It was like, yeah, I'm always ready, I think. You see, every time I, I say I'm ready, I'm a bit wary of repeating the tone of the, the, the great um, 80s Brian Adams. pop oh. hit by, um, by, by Kano. Not Kano, the rapper. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm ready. The... I'm ready. Yes, thinking... I'm ready. And you see, I've, I've just lulled myself into doing that completely involuntarily. Yeah. I was thinking more I'm ready by Brian Adams. I'm ready to love you. That one. You know the one? Friend of Jose Mourinho, Brian Adams. Yeah, fine song. Um, Andy, let I, us begin. I've never heard it. I've never you heard have. it. But... You often do this, Andy. When someone says like a big song, it's a bit cheesy and a bit, you know, it's not particularly, you know, it's, it's not packed with street credibility. And you go, oh, I've never heard that song. You have. You know you have. Marcus, well, yes. when have they played that on pirate radio? Uh, there you go, you see. <laughs> Oh my goodness, ladies! Bit of renegade snares, bit of Brian Adams. It's a perfect segue. Well, renegade master Andy, if you're going to mention that as well. Um, Right. Well, let's get back once again with the question. So, John Moore asked this. He said, (laughs) "I wonder if you guys could shed any light on any reasons that you might be aware of as to why George Jesus has never managed in the Premier League or any other of Europe's major leagues." Andy, why is that? Why is Georges Jesus not managed in uh, in, Euro- in in any of uh, Europe's top leagues, other than well, Portugal? Let's call that a top league in in Europe. Let's give him a bit of credit. Just to be polite, let's yes. do that. Uh huh. Little mugs. Yeah, I, I think you have to um, look at the arc of his career, and he's such an incredible personality. And I, I think "incredible" is, is is the word for it. He's someone who. I, I guess become a bigger and bigger figure outside Portugal for especially what he did with Benfica the first time um, over recent years because um, he's front foot, he's bombastic, his teams are, are, are like that as well. Um, but bear in mind when he became coach of Benfica for, for the first time in 2009, he's already 55 years old. Um, That's so, mad. Yeah, he's he's someone who. Once you become acquainted with him and his work, it's very, very hard to work out how you lived without him for all this time. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, there's so much to love about him. Um, He's someone who who doesn't mince his words. Um, He's someone who's who's, who's a terrific personality. But his teams play very, very good football as well. And um, what he's done... um, in, in, in even recent years, um, reinventing himself in, in in terms of going and winning um, uh, the, the league in Brazil and the Copa Libertadores for Flamengo. I mean, he's such an arresting personality. 
I would say not just because of my interest in Portuguese football, well, at least partly because of my interest in Portuguese football. I watch matches of South American club football for mm-hmm. the first time in over a decade when he went to Flamengo because... Andy, he was so phenomenally successful at Flamengo. Yeah. Why, why did he only stay a year? Um, because he or got the opportunity to go back to Portugal and go back to Benfica on, on his terms. And... Mm-hmm. Um, he never really wanted to leave Benfica in the, in the first place. Now, of course, when Sporting signed him in, in, in 2015, it was after contract negotiations with Benfica broke down and um, he um, played for them for a short while in, in, in the 1970s um, <clears throat> when, when he was a player. So um, the, the Sporting uh, social media account, not so gently ragging on the Benfica fans, put up a picture of him as um, a twenty-something in his uh, sporting kit, in black and white, saying um, "Welcome home, Georges." When um, he signed for Sporting, but he's so closely associated with Benfica because that was his breakout big club, where all the principles that he imposed on smaller teams that people thought would never work at a club as big as Benfica worked and worked spectacularly well. Um, and they worked at home and they worked in Europe as well. Okay, mm-hmm. people will talk about his lack of progress in the Champions League. But he got them, um, Benfica, to to the brink of um, winning the Europa League as, as, as well. They, they, they didn't quite get there, even though they, they really should have beaten Chelsea in that, in, in that final in, in, in 2013. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about Jorge uh, Jesus recently and, and about why he's, he's so arresting. And I think there's a lot of comparison to be made with Marcelo Bielsa. Obviously, as we're speaking now, Marcus, it's just a couple of days um, after the, 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 the FIFA, the best awards have been announced. And of all the consternation that there always is over which players are included and which players aren't included, mm-hmm. um, I've rarely seen as much consternation as Marcelo Bielsa's inclusion on the list Um for this and people's argument is always strictly about achievement and trophies or mm. 90% of the time it's that but I just wonder what makes us forget as as football fans why we really feel or why I personally feel as someone who doesn't support any of the clubs that Bielsa has managed or similarly talking about this conversation um, someone who doesn't support any of the clubs that George Jesus has ever managed. But why do I feel such a closeness to them? Why do I feel so excited by them? And it's because they get it as fans, I think. Mm -hmm. They understand that it's not just about principles and aesthetics and philosophy. Mm -hmm. It's about making a connection with the supporters. And that's what football's really about. And part of that is is entertaining them and that that is that is something that um you know you you'll you'll still hear fans sort of say the sort of things that coaches say about well i I don't care as as long as we win but the fact is for for most of us who support clubs that well don't ever win or win infrequently that we know that the journey is as important as the destination and even if you win consistently and yeah i went through a few years of that in uh with afc wimbledon in the combined counties league and the ryman <laughs> one and it, you know it may be not the level that a lot of us 
follow football, but it's the the same principle, I think. You know, if you win week after week after week, just the same as if you don't win week after week after week. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, after a while, it's all the same if you're not being entertained and you don't feel the connection with the team. And yeah. I think that's something that Jorge Jesus understands well, the performative aspect of being a head coach. And when you get coaches like Fernando Santos and uh, Max Allegri saying that aesthetics aren't important, the only thing that I care about is winning, fair enough. I respect that. They're doing a job and they're doing that job to the, the, the best of their ability and they, they have their priorities and that's, that's fine. I, I, I don't begrudge them that at all. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I feel excited when I'm watching a Bielsa team or watching a Jorge Jesus team is you feel lifted out of yourself. And everything about Jorge Jesus, and I think of my, my favourite memories of him, one of my favourite memories of him, when I, when I was living in Portugal for a little bit, uh, uh, in Lisbon, and there were, I think, three classicals in the month, and mm-hmm. one of them was the second leg of the um, uh, Tasta Portugal semi-final, um, Benfica had won the, the first one 2-0 away and in the second one they were losing 3-0 at home this was Andre Villas-Boas or conquering Porto's side yeah. and there was this brilliant touchline argument between Carlos Martins one of the uh, Benfica midfielders and Jorge Jesus as Jorge Jesus explained to him after Benfica pulled one back that no they weren't going into extra time they were losing on away goals and <laughs> Even though the ground was full, even though you couldn't actually hear the words of Jorge Jesus, everyone could see what he was saying because he's so <laughs> incredibly expressive. You know, the way that he looks as if he's almost going to take off on the touchline is absolutely fantastic. But for him to get to this point where he was this all-encompassing character, it took time. It didn't just take time for him to, to get to Benfica. There are several stages of Jorge Jesus before he, he gets here. So he's a respected but not superstar player. And for a long time, he's a respected but not superstar coach. And Benfica absolutely changed all that. Now, I think as well, you look at him having his entire career in Portugal up until that point, and you think, you know, is it possible for him to adapt? I mean, even people in Portugal used to really take the mickey when he would try and... Um, pronounce uh, names of of of, of teams um, mm-hmm. uh, abroad. Like he he's quite famous for the way he used to pronounce Manchester United. He used to say <laughs> Manchester United, and people would <laughs> laugh and say, you know, th- this this shows that he's someone who doesn't get football outside of Portugal. But he's someone who worked really hard on trying to change that perception, mm-hmm. on trying to um, make himself more open to the world, reading more books. Um, finding out a little bit about the world outside football. I think you have to admire that, really, from someone in their 50s trying trying to do that. But I just wonder if that came a little bit late. The other thing as well that really worked for him in terms of his career and his status, but really worked against him in terms of the possibility of going abroad, is after that brilliant first year at Benfica, 2009-2010. I mean, Benfica were brilliant to watch and they were winning for the first time in a long time so Porto made an approach and to stave off that approach 
Benfica gave him an absolutely enormous contract. Um, these sort of golden handcuffs, they called them in Portugal. Yeah. And that was, what, 4 million euros a year, which was an absolute fortune back then, particularly for a Portuguese manager. So if you can stay at home and get paid, why would you go anywhere? So that was another thing that fettered the possibility of him going abroad. But would I have loved to see him try it out in the Premier League? Yeah, I would. But I, mm -hmm. I think if, if you look at what maybe happened to Maurizio Sarri, for example, who didn't have a job abroad until late 50s. Well, I think he was 60, wasn't he, by the time he moved to Chelsea. Mm -hmm. um, and he was someone who already had the language because, of course, in his career pre-football, he'd been a banker, as everyone knows. And so even if he didn't have perhaps that sense of being able to cross over culturally in terms of football, he had the language, which is, which is a big start. But I think if you language i think is a little bit overcooked that's something you can always learn later down the line i think we've seen with bielsa and before that with pochettino mm -hmm. if you've got the the right interpreter I, I think you can get your ideas across and it's about your personality i do think um language is sometimes it's helpful but sometimes it's a bit of a straw man i think with Jesus, you have to ask, would he have encountered those problems of footballing culture adaptation that Maurizio Sarri encountered, particularly as he's allied to a particular footballing philosophy and style of play, and he's not going to turn up and play defensively? Mm. Andy, that was thoroughly enjoyable. I, I, You know I enjoy hearing you talk about football, but talking about Jorge Jesus... Is uh, is a thing of beauty. A, a man who <clears throat> I know has been a big uh, favourite of yours in the in 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 football for many many years. And uh, yeah. I, a few bits and pieces that I didn't know about the man. Um, but I, yeah, I think if he'd have come to England, I think the danger would have been that he would have turned up. It probably you know it might not have gone that well. And I mean, who's this bloke? Uh, whereas actually, sometimes you like these figures to. For those who know someone like Jorge Jesus, there is an air of mystery. There's a bit of a, the mythical figure about him because he's never come to these shores, if you see what I mean. Right, Andy, we're going to move on there uh, to a question from Alex Sheedy, who says, Hello all, seeing how Ibra is rolling back the years in Italy again, when do we look back at his career? Sorry, when we look back at his career, will we think that he went to MLS too early? Um, do you think that his time uh, or American adventure will be looked at as a success or a missed opportunity as he could have played in a tougher league while he was younger? Thank you, Alex Sheedy. What do you think of that, Andy? I mean, people, fans of MLS might find that sort of slightly disrespectful, but I get that you get the the, the feel of what, what um, old Sheedy's asking there. And I think it is a fair mm. question now we see in what Ibra is doing. He's doing remarkable things in Serie A at the moment. Yeah, I think it is a fair question from, from Alex. And... Um... MLS is going places. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but you, you can't compare it to the, the, the top European leagues at this, this, this moment in time. Um, it's got different challenges. There's, there's no doubt about that. And um, certainly from a, a physical perspective, I think it's maybe something that's actually stood Zlatan in quite good stead. I think coming off um, his, his big injury and that injury... I think if we go back now, it's easy for us to say, especially when we're subscribing to the cult of Zlatan, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, no one thought it would be the end of him. Everyone knew he would come back. Everyone no knew he would simply Zlatan the situation. <laughs> I, 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 actually, that's one of my favourite things about him being in France, the fact that they turned 
to Zlatan into a verb in the French yeah. dictionary. That's that's something I've very much enjoyed. Um, <laughs> I, I think w when we're asking, um, was um, if, if we're doing a retrospective of his recent career, do we think he maybe wasted a bit of time playing in a, a, a league that was beneath him? If we're going to ask that about MLS, I think we have to ask that about France as well, really. Mm. Um, because particularly when he first arrived in France, I mean, it was a huge boost for Paris Saint-Germain, clearly. It was a huge boost for French football. But a lot of that first season in particular, and that's before his goal rate got to what it was at the end. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal by the by the yeah. time we got to the end that of it. ridiculous, yeah. Um, I don't know about you, Marcus, and I'll be interested to get your opinion on it. I felt a lot of that first season in France, once he got over the initial shock of, as he said, people daring to tackle me, um, <laughs> it, it was, it, it felt like a, you know that scene with Brian Glover in Kez, where he oh, runs Brian. around his kids and uh, sort of bangs it in the back of the net and goes, oh, Bobby Charlton scores for Manchester United. I, I sort of had that feeling some of the time that, that he was like a, a big kid playing with smaller kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think with Ibrahimovic, I, it's, it, it, hindsight, you know, you know everything with hindsight, don't you? I yeah. think if you, you know, you, it, it's difficult to not play, you know, what, what one might call fantasy football here, where a footballer is just a commodity and you sort of pick that person up and you plonk him there and then, and oh, but I would have put him there. Uh, you don't know what's mm. going on in the mind of the man, uh, at the the mind of the man. And you know, lest we forget, you know, in his career he played for um, huge clubs. He obviously started at Malmo, but Ajax, Juventus, Inter, Barcelona, Milan. He played for all them. Where in the, at those clubs you have to win every week. You have to win every week, and and it's a, and it's a challenge to win every week at those clubs. Some more yeah. than others, of course. Now I understand with Paris Saint Germain the money they uh, were, were throwing around. You know, again, you, you're expected to win every week, but <laughs> the task of winning every week was a little bit more straightforward or a little easier at Paris Saint Germain as they, as they proved. And and so yes, in one sense the pressure was was on, but the, the challenge was a little bit easier. And I think for him, you know, we remember when when he was at Milan, you know, they were getting into a bit of financial difficulty. They had to sell, and they sold obviously Thiago Silva as well at that time, and, and, and perhaps one or two others. Well, where else would he have gone at that time when he left Milan? He yeah, wasn't going to go. Really back. A choice was it? Yeah, exactly. He wasn't going to go back I mean, to Spain mm. uh, unless Real Madrid came in. But again. That would have been a bit fanciful. Um, would he have gone to England? Um, well, obviously he eventually did, but 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 PSG, you know, they had the cash, and it was, it, you know, for a footballer, you're getting offered an enormous amount of money. You're thinking to yourself, I'm going to win league titles, and I could even maybe have a bit of a, a a go at the Champions League as well. And also, he may really, really like Paris. Do you know what I mean? Or think, or like the idea of living in Paris, or his wife and children fancied the idea of that. You see what yeah. I mean? So there's so much more to to consider. And I mean, what what he did there, you know, he will he will go down as as one of the greatest players in in that club's history. And I think that kind of legacy he likes to leave in places. He likes to be the main man. Of course, he does. It's why Bar it's one of the number of reasons why at Barcelona it didn't quite work. 
um, system wise and so on. But he wasn't considered, you know, this almost sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, deity or demigod sort of type character, you know, tug in cheek. Mm. And uh, you know, when he leaves Paris Saint Germain, he gets the chance to go to Manchester United, and he and he does, which I think was actually quite a, a brave thing to do. If maybe that's overcooking, it was. It was. He he could have because at that point I think people thought okay he's maybe sort of winding down to then go into the the, the fast and the physical of the Premier League was was quite a was quite a big challenge especially at, at the age yeah, exactly at the age he was in his second season at Manchester United it wasn't it wasn't very long of course you know he only played seven matches in total scoring one goal and and people Manchester United fans were saying look it's great to have him there obviously he's provided some big moments like scoring goals in like the league cup final and stuff but they felt that he was kind of holding up the play a bit too much he, his his legs were showing and again with that season at Manchester United it did feel like okay Ibrahimovic you know you've been amazing but we don't want you to kind of fade away now and I think actually you can forget at that moment in his career what was going on it, it was a case of like mm, where, where's he going to go he can go to Los Angeles Galaxy be one of the again one of the greatest players in their uh, uh, you know history or recent yeah. history. Even though he was only there two seasons, he kind of light up the place, give MLS a real push, um, become famous in America. Which for someone like Ibrahimovic, as it was for Beckham, was clearly important for them and their brand, and have a great time. And actually, that I think has rejuvenated him. Whereas if he just stayed at Manchester United, he would have probably he would have become a bit part player. And you can't have him as a bit part player. And that would have been a bit of a shame. And again, where's he going to go after that? Where's he going to get? He's not going to go, you know, mid-table La Liga side or something like that. So yeah, I agree. Are, are, the, are the moves there? Are the, is the right club there? So he goes to Galaxy and then he gets the chance to go back to Milan, where, of course, you know, he's, he's loved by those supporters. Again, he only played two seasons at Milan. And this is the thing with Ibrahimovic, other than Barcelona, he's only played two, three seasons. You know, Paris Saint-Germain... Uh, and Ajax, he was there for four years. Wherever he's gone, he's seen as his legend. And this he is what go- yeah. This is sorry. what he always sorry, Marcus. This is what he always wanted because yeah. he f- he felt he was he was cut off when yeah. Milan sold him. Of course, they gave him the number ten shirt, and then they sold him less than a week later, which yeah. made him incredibly angry. Mm-hmm. But I think being able to pick your legacy. Yeah, and and pick your final stop. I mean, that mm-hmm. is a luxury afforded yeah. to so few footballers absolutely even with that chance i don't think he went in with his eyes closed um there was a lot of skepticism when Mm -hmm. um milan signed him from parts of the italian press from actually parts of the supporters thinking you know this see this says everything that's wrong with milan at the moment that we're signing Mm -hmm. old guys who are you know part of the the glories of the past you know because as you as you say it was it was nearly 10 years since he since he left and mm. um, you know, the, the last time they really had a, had a properly good team because um, he, was, he was such a big part of that, that title winning team in, in, in 2011 as well. Um, but I think you look at the LA Galaxy thing, I think we will look at it in the future, going back to Alex's original question, mm-hmm. as a, a huge part of what enabled yeah. um, the second spell at, at Milan to happen. I completely because, agree with you. Because yeah. it, it was almost like a a living convalescence, wasn't it, really? Mm-hmm. It enabled him to get over. Getting over a serious injury like that is is one thing. I think it's another thing entirely, getting it over it for someone with with that kind of body, yeah. which carries a, a lot of weight, a lot of muscle. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at 
Zlatan when he was a, a Malmo or even an Ajax player. And you look at him now and the body shape's very different. You know, mm. it's not quite the Fulak in Fenwa, but it's kind of <laughs> going in that direction, isn't it? It's yeah. so much more muscle to him than, than, mm. than they used to be. And, you know, I, we've all heard about Mino Raiola teasing him and saying, you know, why don't you go and play in a proper league when he's, he's playing in the MLS? But I think you look at players who've stepped out of um, top-level European football for a bit and had almost a little... Again, I don't want to be disrespectful to the MLS, but mm-hmm. in terms of the intensity of, of top-flight European football, had like a career break almost in yep. the US or China, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, J- Jermaine Defoe would be another one. I know it's a bit odd to sort of bring him into the conversation. Not but, you know, he, he He popped over there, got rejuvenated, and also... I know with with Ibrahimovic, you, you know we we know the arrogance and the confidence that's projected publicly. But you know, perhaps in that time at Manchester United, like like I say, in that second season, was he beginning to think, mm, have, I, have I still got it? You know, or, or that kind of thing. You you never know. So to go to the Galaxy to score fifty three goals in fifty eight games, and in each season you win. Not only do you win the golden boot and the best goal for that season, yeah. you also win player of the season. You're suddenly this like, you feel like you're the most important person in the league again kind of thing. And 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 people believe in you and they're loving you. And that gives you the desire and the hunger again. You know, y- your fitness wanes, but people don't often appreciate sometimes that the desire and hunger can go. He's won trophies everywhere. The only ones that he's missing really are, are, are a couple of the European ones, although he did win the Europa League at Manchester United, didn't play in the final. He's missing the Champions League, won the Super Cup at Barcelona, if that sort of counts. Um, and you, and he can think, I've done it all. I've, 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 what, what else am I going to do? I go back to, to Europe. You know, does he have the desire and hunger? Well, as I say, 53 goals, 58 games, player of the season, in, in each season at LA Galaxy, there's the desire and a hunger. It can get that back. And yes, you, you don't get, you know, you don't turn the clock back two years, um, you know, in literal terms and, and in your body, so on. But you do perhaps in your mind and your heart. And I think that that can go quite a, a way to when he does go back to Serie A. He's not just there to make up the numbers or to GM all up in the changing room. He thinks, no, I've still got this. And so far in the time of recording, 22 goals in 30 appearances for Milan. That is astonishing. It's, it's absolutely amazing for for, for for anyone, but for a 39-year-old who <laughs> a lot thought was spent. And um, I know sometimes our our view of of Zlatan is, is sort of coloured by Zlatan, the character. And mm. I think he's very aware of that. He's very aware that he's he's playing a role. He's, he's aware of the, the ridiculousness of it really. And he embraces that. And it's, it's fine. I think it's fine. Football is, is, is entertainment after all, isn't it? I don't yeah, think yeah, everyone yeah. has to be super po-faced about it. Um, but the fact is that character only works if you're smashing it on the pitch. Yeah. And if you're meekly fading into the background at Manchester United and in top flight European football in general, as you were saying, it doesn't mm. work, does it? Mm. Um, Andy, I think we're going to finish there. We've talked about Jorge Jesus and we've talked about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Normally, we do three questions on the the mailbag, or sometimes four if we're if we're, if we're feeling a, a little bit uh, overindulgent. But uh, I, I feel that my that, that I, I feel very satisfied after 
<laughs> and I hope the listeners do too. Uh, we got a good question from Mason about David Beckham, so we'll hopefully answer that uh, next week, certainly in the coming weeks, but maybe next week. So, so, so bear with us, Mason. Uh, but, um, but thank you very much anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the Mailbag this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Andy, nice one, my old son. Thank you. Thank you for the questions, listeners, and thank you for the chat, Spelzy. <laughs> likewise, likewise. All right, everybody. See you in a week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.